This is a reading from the book Rooted, How Trauma Impacts Learning and Society. Chapter 1, Part 2, School Reform, Current Reform Trends. Classes are divided up by specific subjects. Teachers are hired and expected to be experts in their specific areas of study. The teacher's ability to cross-educate among other disciplines is not usually considered. The student's ability to see the greater picture of how the various subjects integrate into their current lives, into the history of their current world, and how everything is interconnected is rarely discussed or addressed. Everything is segregated. It follows then with this kind of rigid thinking and the attendant attendant unrealistic expectations that are the inevitable outcome of viewing children as machines that discipline and enforced order become tantamount to success. So much so that anything or anyone who questions the prevailing order or refuses to abide by its strictures is perceived as a threat to be subjected to discipline, the linchpin of coercive education. Which brings me to discuss discipline as a form of repression. Disciplinary structures create behavior that is reminiscent of prisons. Students who do not behave in a certain predetermined fashion can be labeled and encouraged or compelled to seek counseling and medication. They are most often isolated to various corners of the classroom or removed entirely from the classroom. This disciplinary action is counterintuitive to the reform efforts guaranteeing quality education for all students in our public schools. The government requires that students attend school, but they don't guarantee that a student will actually learn anything there. Our teacher training programs continue to emphasize the same assertive discipline methodology used for decades. Teachers aren't conforming to the student. If the student doesn't conform, he or she is excluded, leaving classroom populations that are not reflected of the diversity in the community. Furthermore, the curriculum is written from the viewpoint of the dominant population's perspective. All other students are expected to accept this information without question. The only requirement is that they must be able to repeat this information in the matter that was given to them for the standardized test. No critical thinking is required, allowed, or even tolerated. The dominant population has also recently edited their history books to reflect history in a manner that they feel is important for their children to believe. Texas has almost completely removed the civil rights movement from their current history textbooks, cited in Elfman in 2010. Arizona has banned ethnic studies, cited in James 2010. Other states have followed similar curriculum adjustments. Students who come from less represented cultures are not given the opportunity to learn or share their ancestral histories and viewpoints from the same segments of history. Understandably, this creates resentment and rebellion in students 
inadvertently creating the apparent need for more discipline to ensure continuing order in the classroom. This trend snowballs with the attempted imposition of ever greater discipline, which is continually thwarted by behavioral challenges from kids whose educational needs are continually going unmet. A feedback loop is created that fails to realize that the very problems it was created to solve are in turn caused by the actual system itself. Suppression of inquisition and challenging of authority is not tolerated. School reform, systemic understanding. The theory behind segregation of subject matter was to isolate the core aspects that make it exist. By understanding the core aspects, the whole subject is then more completely understood. This segregation of subject matter fails to introduce the interrelatedness each subject shares with another subject and how it applies to the world we live in. Students cannot understand the implications of these subjects in their world if the subjects are segregated from reality and the students are never taught how to look at each subject in relation to another. Quote, fragmentary thought has led to a widespread range of crisis, social, political, economic, ecological, psychological, etc., in the individual and in society as a whole. End quote. This was from Baum, 1980, page 20. This understanding has begun to take root in the corporate world and in general management and leadership training. Corporations are paying thousands of dollars to hire specialists to assist their employees in becoming more cooperative, more constructive, and to be more efficient. A system that no longer fragments and separates is emerging. When one group does not understand what the other group does, inefficiency occurs and ultimately costs the company more money. Quote, These shifts in how we think about strategy and planning are important to notice. They expose the fact that for many years and many dollars, we have invested in planning processes derived from Newtonian beliefs. How many companies made significant gains and consistent progress because of elaborate and costly strategic plans? Very few. End quote. Wheatley, 2006, page 38. The current educational system is clearly a Newtonian structure. By Newtonian, I mean mechanistic. This method of breaking down learning into subjects, age-segregated classrooms, divided physical classrooms, and grading systems perpetuates this antiquated notion of separateness. This reduction into parts and the proliferation of separation has characterized not just organizations, but everything in the Western world during the past 300 years. We broke knowledge into separate disciplines and subjects, built offices and schools with divided spaces, developed analytical techniques that focus on discrete factors, and even counseled ourselves to act in fragments to use different parts of ourselves in different settings. Again, Wheatley, 2006. The subtitle of the book, Education as Enforcement, is The Corporatization and Militarization of Schooling 
and the many critical educators contributing to it make a strong case that education is making the same mistake the corporations have made. The only difference is that the corporations have learned from their mistakes and are now opening to new beliefs in leadership and productivity. Perhaps the model used in these new interwoven corporate leadership styles should be included in the classroom. The students would then be prepared for working in such an environment. School reform and authoritarian structures. Quote, authoritarian structures are mechanistic. Power and authority rest almost exclusively in a tightly coupled organization. Parentheses, clear goals and bureaucratic authority guide the organization. End parentheses. Effectiveness is moderate. End quote. Burns, 2003, page 5. This is the structure found in traditional public schools all over the United States. This structure is counterintuitive to many indigenous cultures' beliefs in leadership and learning. This structure is also heavily utilized in the criminal justice system. The structure within schools prepares the students for the workplace or prison. This is from the ACLU with no date. Students who do not fare well within the confines of the bureaucratically generated authoritarian structure are often tossed aside into public school alternative programs. These programs often tighten the original ineffective controls even further. These alternative programs are not different from their traditional counterparts other than the population in attendance. This population consists of students whom teachers and administrators could no longer handle or teach in the traditional classrooms. The No Child Left Behind Act of 2001 pressures schools to perform at a certain standard. The students are rigorously tested annually to check for acquired learning. If the students do poorly on these exams, the school is punished and the federal and state governments remove their financial support. Often, the schools that suffer these consequences are located in the poorest communities. These communities have a higher percentage of second language English learners, as well as high criminal activity. Their test states, quote, students from low income and minority group backgrounds are more likely to be retained in grade, placed in a lower track, or put in special or remedial education programs when it is not necessary. They are more likely to be given watered down or dummied down curriculum based heavily on rote drill and test practice. This only ensures that they will fall further and further behind their peers. On the other hand, children from white, middle, and upper income backgrounds are more likely to be placed in gifted and talented or college preparatory programs where they are challenged to read, explore, investigate, think, and progress rapidly. End quote. Fair test, 2007, paragraph 3. This can be seen as another way the current educational system has become a feeder school for the criminal system. School to prison pipeline. Criminal activity is often a result of financial instability. Support for poor communities is bleak. Adding lack of education to the mix only ensures continued poverty and escalating crime rates. 
This clearly does not serve the student's best interests. It does, however, look similar to the functioning of America in the days of slaves. Often the populace of such neighborhoods is made up of the ancestors of those enslaved, the African American. This was intentionally created through districting and house affordability, including access to home loans. Minorities are often inadvertently forced into the lifestyle of the street, due in part by keeping the availability of a high level of education, including an environment conducive to constructive learning, limited or non-existent. This ensures low pay and a life of desperation, a desperation that often leads again to criminal activity. Criminal activity leads to prison terms. Prisons utilize these criminals as employees. These employees perform industrial tasks, including crop work, license plate manufacturing, among many other industrial age type work. These workers can earn anywhere from 80 to 40 cents per hour. This is clearly an abuse of human life, identical to the abuse of slave sorry, the use of slave labor. The school to prison pipeline is well documented from the ACLU, No Date and Fair Test 2011. Disciplinary actions and various classroom management strategies are often the root of what pushes these children out of the traditional classroom, providing lower literacy rates. Once students find themselves on the street, parentheses, due to suspension or expulsion, in parentheses, their ensuing lifestyle often lands them in the prison system. This is from the National Center for Education Statistics, 1994. Among adults ages 25 and older, a lower percentage of dropouts are in the labor force compared with adults who earned a high school credential. Among adults in the labor force, a higher percentage of dropouts are unemployed compared with adults who earned a high school credential. This is from the U.S. Department of Labor, 2007. Further, dropouts ages 25 or older reported being in worse health than adults who are not dropouts, regardless of income. This is from Place in Lethbridge, Jacob, 2006. Dropouts also make up disproportionately higher percentages of the nation's prison and death row inmates. This is from the U.S. Department of Education, 2009. Authoritarian behavior observed. Observations that I have made in various schools demonstrate how well established this current authoritarian model is. The treatment of public school students is often identical to the treatment of students in juvenile corrections facilities. Observations have included the following. One, students are required to walk silently in lines with their hands behind their backs. I observed this in Fort Worth, Texas, Rancho Mirage, California, and Pine Hills Youth Correctional Facility in Miles City, Montana. Two, elementary students with desks shoved into corners, backs turned from the rest of the class, excluded due to their behavioral challenges. This can only exacerbate the student's negative self-concept and inadvertently create an autonomous 
that rationality that wants to further rebel against the prevailing social order. I have personally seen this used in schools in Rosebud and Miles City, Montana, Poway, Rancho Mirage, San Jose, Indio, Palm Springs, Desert Hot Springs, Palm Desert, Newark, Temecula, Menifee, La Quinta, and Cathedral City, California, and also in various schools within Spokane, Washington. Three, the teacher blows a whistle. All students drop and squat wherever they are immediately. They stay in this position until they hear the teacher's command. When the teacher blows the whistle again, the students line up. When the teachers lead their students to class with their hands behind their backs. This was observed in an elementary school in Rancho Mirage, California. Four, students suspended or expelled for repetitive behavior, not accidentally, right before the standardized testing is to take place. This ensures that the students' scores won't bring down the scores of the whole school, bring down, and I'm sorry, and affect the school's funding. I saw this in California. Five, students who pose academic or behavioral problems, often both, are encouraged to be absent the days of the standardized tests. I observed this in California. Six, one teacher in National City, California, claimed to me that the teacher at her school, teachers at her school give the answers to the students during the standardized test in order for the school to pass. Most troubling to me was the use of the whistle conditioning at recess. It is clear that these schools have chosen Pavlovian conditioning, Domian 2005. To create a theoretically constructive learning environment, there are teachers who use hand signals and others use different sounds. The effect is the same. The kids develop a learned response for when the teacher signals. Teachers are expected to maintain order. This is from Edwards in 1994. The assumption is that students are incapable of controlling themselves and thus need an adult to control them. Edwards in 1993. There is no respect for the children's own ability to self-control or self-direct. Edwards, 1989. 